0: Um, zijn we zijn er allemaal uh, nu echt wakker voor uh, de presentatie van uh, Chris. Chris, uh, Chris Boldwin, Chris is Engels uh, uh, er toch? UK? Nou, sorry.
1: Australian. Australian. Oh wow, dat is een better actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sorry man. Chris is stage director bij Traffic4U. Digital entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur, um, change agent. En zal jullie wat gaan vertellen over. Uh, komstontwikkeling en een hele hoop waar je rekening mee moet gaan
1: houden in je strategie, kan het zijn. Dus plaats voor Chris. Thank you. Alright. So it's interesting. Caroline spoke to you about really about the past, about how this age-old Storytelling technique still applies very much today. Actually, we're waiting for it today. That's why we go and watch all these movies and why they make us feel so good. And, and, and Bas talked to you really mu- about the problem today, about how we've got it in this, this perpetual way of working that's uh, Ron Renner, Austin kipps on the corp, so exactly. <laughs> and, um, and what I'm really going to do, do is talk to you about tomorrow. And it's not going to be concrete, it actually doesn't exist yet. So everything I'm saying, I'm pretty well making it up. But tomorrow is what we can all expect, tomorrow. So who remembers this campaign? Think different. Steve Jobs, Apple, 1997. When he came back to Apple, when the company was months away from bankruptcy and he knew that nothing remarkable in this world comes from following the status quo. It was a campaign about us, really, about thinking different, about the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the ones that push the human race forward. We wrote books about them, we made movies about them, they inspired us, we even let them lead us. But don't be fooled, these crazy ones, they're all around us, maybe even in this room. (laughs) So as we move from world of products to services, we're going to need you to think different. As we move from world of ownership to access, we're going to need you to think different. And as we move from a world of scarcity into a world of abundance, we're going to need you to think different because, you see, that's what technology does. It turns scarcity into abundance. So for the next 20 minutes or so, we'll follow in the footsteps of David Bowie, who is famous for this quote, the future belongs to those who hear it coming. Because, you see, the future hasn't been written yet. So we need to listen to it. We need to observe for it. And it's actually already here, just unevenly distributed. So why is it that we get to this point? Two decades after the Think Different campaign. One decade after the launch of the iPhone, the smartphone, the catalyst to all of the things we're doing now. And the COO of Adblock Plus gets up on stage halfway through last year and says, we messed up. We lost track of user experience. A message supported by the ERB. And it's because of this. You see, while Elon Musk is redefining mobility with Tesla, SpaceX, Hyperloop, the boring company, and even redefining energy with Gigafactories and SolarCity, and even challenging what it means to be human with Neuralink, trying to connect our brains to the internet via brain machine interfaces, trying to make us smarter, the best minds of our generation are trying to figure out how to get people to click more ads. It's the Googles, it's the Facebooks, but it's also us as a community. And we have a responsibility to fix this. Because you see, in a mobile environment, the only ads people want to see are the ads they would miss if they were not there. Think about that for a second. We're in an age now where advertising has become highly interruptive. We interrupt people for their time and their attention in order to try and tell them a story. But on a mobile environment, on these small screens, which are slowly disappearing, by the way, we don't have that luxury anymore. Who who knows, who's watched Mad Men? Oh, quite a few of you. Don Draper. You see, back in the 50s and 60s when attention shifted from radio to television, it was unheard of that people blocked your ads. They couldn't, but now they can because they're empowered with ad blockers. Who knows who's this is down the corner here? Seth Godin. Seth Godin, who's read any one of his 19 books? Hands up. (laughs) Not very many of you, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up again if it's a purple cow. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. So a little tip: uh, there's a company called Audible, audiobooks. It's from Amazon. You can go there. The first book is free. Get the purple cow and listen to it. If you want to be adventurous, you could also go to Storytel, which is a streaming service. Four, the first fourteen days are free. You can listen to as many books as you want. The purple cows are also there. And it's a book that's going to help you. um, It's a book about how to be remarkable in this noisy ecosystem, how to stand out, how to be different, and how to reach and communicate with people who care. You see, this comes from the Mary Meeker report last year. Ad blockers, the state of the ad blockers. Over 600 million installed by the end of 2016 already. I think we're way more now. The the green line is is mobile and the red line is desktop. You can see these trends (coughs) aren't about to stop. Ad blockers are going to be in abundance in the future. Google knows this. That's why they're building an ad blocker into Chrome by default, because Google knows the user's going to get hold of an ad blocker. It may as well come from Google. At least now they know what ads you're blocking. So it's always been like this. It's about going from the old to the new. But it's not the new that we're scared about. It's actually letting go the old. It's letting go of what got us here in the first place. That's where all the disconnect is. And right now, it's about transforming through this little thing that we all carry around with us, this smartphone, because that's where the consumer is. That's where their attention is. And if you're not present in that environment, then you become irrelevant over time. So how do you transform so that a company, your company, can communicate through this this thing that everyone carries around with them? It's about changing. And change is hard, change is tough. You see, this is my metaphor for change. We're the tractor driver. The tractor is all of the knowledge, the resources, the technology that we have at our disposal, either within an agency or within your company. The tree, that's the person you're trying to influence, that's the person or the company you're trying to change. For an agency, it might be a client. For, you, for someone working at a client, it may be your board, trying to bring them along on this transformation. And the soil is the sector they're in. And we're trying to pull them out of this infertile soil. The soil is dying, they're dying. We're trying to put them in more fertile grounds. For example, where the consumer is, communicating via mobile is just one of the examples. So this is really the core of the presentation I'm giving you today. We are in an era now where we're trying to build our relationships through technology. You see, I can see you now. I can make eye contact with you. It's a lot of data transferring via these connections. And now we're trying to do this through the internet, which is disappearing, because we're always perpetually connected to it. Through these screens, and you can't see the other person. The only way you can understand what's in the relationship is through the data. Are they happy? Are they sad? Is their love? Is their hate? Are they doing the things I need them to be doing? Are they doing the things that my company needs them to be doing? And building relationships through technology requires an understanding of data It requires an understanding on being relevant on, on all of the different touch points that we as consumers experience. And these touch points are becoming abundant as well. They're all over the place, and it's all becoming digitized. So ultimately, it's about getting someone to pay attention to you, to consider the proposition you have for them, and for them ultimately to come into the relationship, to buy something from you. But as Caroline said, it doesn't end there. That's actually the first point. That's actually where they've chosen to enter the relationship. Now you have to go into a phase of nurturing them through that relationship, solving their problems. It's about to get a whole lot worse or a whole lot more complicated, I should say, because this this digital, the, the world we're in now is becoming smartified. It's this smartification of our world. It's all these different touch points that we're actually buying and putting into our lives, by the way, on our own. This is a choice we're making, but the companies are servicing these these needs and demands. And it's facilitating the mobility of human experience. It's not these devices that are moving around. It's us with them. And the smartphones at the center, of course, because that's the remote control of how we actually communicate, connect to, and, and behave with these devices. But if we're not careful, it turns into this. Because ultimately, marketers ruin everything, if you let them, because we exploit once for profits. We do that because we're told to do that. So, who's heard of the Internet of Things? A lot of people by now. You see, like, one year ago, very few hands went up still. I was quite surprised, but I'm happy now that a lot of people know about this stuff now. It's just, the Internet of Things is just a lot of things connected to the Internet. Our smartphones, of course, are at the center of all of this. And and the amount of devices that are going to be connected to the internet is about to double in the next three to four years. It's exponential because, you see, technology grows exponentially. It can, it's binary. But we don't. As human beings, we've evolved over millions of years. Technology evolves over minutes, hours, days, and months. Let's do a little exercise. So, who's feeling brave? Stand up if you're feeling brave. Yeah, cool. I'm sure we have a few brave people in the room. Yeah, another one. Another one. Maybe someone up the back. Yeah, stand up. Tall and proud. Yeah, yeah? Okay, cool. So, I want you to fold this paper in half every time. Fold it in half, then fold it in half again and then fold it in half again. And while they're doing that, I want the rest of you to think about how many times would I have to fold this piece of paper in order for the thickness of the piece of paper to reach the moon? It's a number. Think about it. How many are we at? can start Googling
2: right now. No, 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 Google. Uh, Actually, yeah, the
1: exercise, is it from, I think, a company that lets you do this uh, when, when you want to, uh, the, I thought it was Google, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's actually, um, this is the this is difference between exponential and linear thinking. I want to get that through in your heads now, because we're in an era that's exponential now, because technology grows exponentially. We don't. We need to understand the disconnect between that, because what, that's where all our pain is happening right now. How many are we at? Six? Seven, if you're strong? Not even counting <laughs> You see seven, no one's ever gotten to eight. You run out of resources, you can't fold anymore. Anyone uh, care to take a guess at a number? 1,500. 1,500? <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, 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 linear thinker. Anyone want to take? Five billion. Five billion? Holy jeez, croc Okay, let's have a look at it. 42 times. You fold this piece of paper 42 times and you reach the moon. Now, let's have a look at the math. At six times, usually, we run out of resources. We can't fold anymore. At 12, what is it, 14 times, we, we get to the height of a small person. At 25 times, we cross the finish line of a marathon. At 30 times, you hit a satellite. And at 42 times, you land on the moon. See, that's the power of exponential growth. But at 50 times, you reach the sun. And at 100 times, you cross the entire observable universe of 46 billion light years. 100 times. That's the power of exponential growth. We don't understand it.
0: No, I don't don't get it. I don't know. It's my linear thinking, so. Good.
1: Then, then this is the first step of a long journey you're going to have to go on.
0: <laughs>
1: you see, why I'm telling you this is because data also grows exponentially. It can. It's a byproduct of technology, and technology is exponential. But most of the data we create is unstructured, and our job is actually to structure, to bring it context, to give it meaning. And what we're entering into an era now is by 2025, we're going to have 160 zettabytes of data. Zettabyte is one with 21 zeros behind it. It's probably more than than the grains of sand on this planet. And we're not going to have the the luxury of storing all this stuff. It's going to get too expensive. So that's where real-time marketing automation is going to kick in where, where these digital assistants are going to come in and try and make sense of all of this data, trying to connect us to the meaningful stuff that helps us live our lives. You run out of resources. Anything that grows exponentially runs out of resources. We see it in real life also. Cancers and viruses, for example. They ultimately consume their resources and kill their host. All right, so this brings us to digital assistants. Digital assistants are relationships we have. They're a relationship that's going to help us connect with the digital ecosystem. From Apple, Siri, Cortana, Microsoft, Alexa, Amazon, and the Google Assistant. Funnily enough, Google didn't give their name in the system because it's a Google Assistant, because we already have a relationship with Google. We trust Google up until now. And (laughs) and a relationship is based on trust. If you trust them, you're going to give them your data. And only if you give them your data, they're going to be able to help you in return. And that's where all these terms and policies are coming in. And that's where the GDPR is coming in. And I'll go into that in a a few moments. So right now, it looks like this, right? A bunch of apps on your screen. We're in control, right? Why are we? Soon it's going to look like this. It looks like this for many already. Just having a conversation. Chatbots, but also the Google Assistant. Or it's going to look like this soon. Many of us have smartwatches connecting us to the digital ecosystem. Or this, Amazon Echo, you put it anywhere in your home, in the kitchen, ask it for recipes, just ask it questions, it'll answer it for you. Or like this, the Dash Wand from Amazon, stick it on your fridge, you can order food with it. Or this, the Amazon Dot, you know, you can ask your questions, you can cast your Spotify, you can turn your lights on and off, but it'll also be listening to you the whole night through. So you've got to consider that option as well. You know, we'll be having a conversation with it, reordering our favorite coffee through a chatbot, for example, at at our favorite restaurant. We'll be ordering food on the go from a company like Domino's. We'll be booking our favorite hotels. We'll be pulling in a ride-sharing service like Uber. So you see, this is now, it's not push anymore. This is now just being there when the customer needs you. It's about understanding where do they need me and how could I be relevant for them in that time of need? And while in a conversation, you can just pull in Uber when you're about to head off for the night. Or it's about booking, checking into, and boarding your flight via Messenger. No need of a website anymore. Who's used uh, check-in via Messenger for KLM? Very few, apologies. Oh, Maybe you don't travel that much, but next time you book KLM, Check in via, or choose that little messenger, Facebook messenger. Of course, you'll be sharing all that data with with Facebook, but um, they're the first one accepted into the early program for WhatsApp now, so you can also do it with WhatsApp. Okay, that's from Facebook as well. But um, (laughs) it's an amazing experience. And when you start that experience, you never actually go back. You don't need a web page anymore. They're too slow. All right, so I'm telling you this stuff. Google's building this stuff. Amazon's building this stuff. Microsoft's building it, Apple's building it. So let's watch a video. It's one and a half minutes. It's the Google Assistant. Who's watched it? The Google Assistant video? Okay. Way too few people. This is actually just a nice video to embody the whole thing. What how Google would communicate it? And they've spent a lot of money making sure this communication is right. So let's have a look at it.
2: When we started, we made this for everyone so that everyone could find anything they need among the millions of bazillions of things in the world. Today, it seems like sometimes it's easy to feel like you need a little help with the stuff just in your own world. Your photos, phone, videos, calendars, messages, friends, trips, reservations, and so on and so on. Wouldn't it be nice if you had some help with all that? Wouldn't it be nice if you had a Google for your world? That's why we're building the Google Assistant. Hi, Amy. How can I help? You just ask it what you need. Okay, Google, what do I have to do today? And your assistant understands and helps you out. You can even carry on a conversation with it. How long will it take to get to downtown Chicago from home? Here you go. What restaurants are there? Book a table at Cortino Restaurant. Sure. And the assistant is always there for you. So if you're on the road, you can ask it where to fill up. And if you're at home, you can ask it to play some music, Or if you're in a chat with a friend, it can show you what's playing tonight. It's like your own personal Google. Naturally, anything you share with it is safe and secure. And the more you use your Google Assistant, the more useful it becomes. Remember my bike combo is three, two, six. Got it. And soon, you'll be able to access it from all sorts of places, so it will be everywhere you are. We made this for everyone. And today, we're making this just for you. Hi. How can I help? Meet your Google Assistant.
1: So you see? Ultimately, this disintermediates everything. Then you have your relationship with your assistant, and it's up to that algorithm, or it's up to Google, or Facebook, or Amazon, or Apple, to figure out where to send you. You know, Buzz's hinted on it. You can actually serve these assistants by building content for them that they trust. So actually, ultimately, in the In the future, we'll be marketing to algorithms, not necessarily to human beings. The algorithms are going to have the relationships with the human beings. And they're going to be the ones figuring out what what are the needs, what are the wants, what are the desires, and what's the best solution to that problem that the consumer has. little experiment. Because you see, Google is a company that's made probably the most mistakes out of any company on this planet. They can never get it right. They keep experimenting, they keep trying, they keep making mistakes, but every time they make a mistake, they learn. So let's see, some things have changed in the last weeks. Because you see, it's about giving people the right answer, not about giving people a choice. Because when you give people a choice, and there are too many choices to make, we lose our ability to choose. And choosing, there's only two things that we have to do in this life. One of them is make choices, we cannot get out of making choices. Even when we don't make a choice, we make a choice. And the other one is to die, because all living things die. And there are 150 Silicon Valley startups trying to solve that problem too. <laughs> so making choices, Google understands, it's not about giving you a choice, it's about giving you the answer. And all of this time they've been trying to do it. That first button they put up in 1998 of I'm feeling lucky, that's an audacious statement saying that one day we're going to get it right. One day we're going to get it right on the first go. And until that day, we're just going to make mistakes. Sorry. But every mistake we make, we learn about you. So if we can all pull out our phones, and you can type it in into Google. Just type it into Google. You can speak it if you want. Maybe not very appropriate in this room. Type it in. What's the time in Paris? You can make a spelling mistake, you can do it in Dutch, you can do it in English. Everybody do it. Let's do a little experiment. All right, so put your hand up if you actually see the SERPs. All of the choices that, give, that Google gives you. Put your hand up. Put your hand high up higher, higher. OK, we're about 50, 40 to 50%. Good. Put your hands down, put your hands up if you only see the answer. And Google has actually excluded the SERPs, all of the choices. So you only see this, basically, an answer. Oh, half the room, so you did, what did you see? The other half. Okay, that's non respondents. <laughs> I, I should have designed this experiment a bit better. No, but, okay, who, who didn't see the SERPs? Did you all see the SERPs? Interesting. So this was done, um, if you look at the date, uh, I did on the 14th of March. And I did, the, I did the experiment in a few classrooms with a few students and you get a mixed results. So Google's always experimenting. So that what they're doing now is actually excluding that choice. Excluding the ads, excluding all the content, and just giving you the answer. You see, the first version of Google was they would send you somewhere for that answer. The next version of Google is where they actually bought that answer in, but they still gave you the, gave you the choice. And the, 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 the final version of Google is where they're not going to give you a choice at all. They're just going to know who you are, what you need, and give you that answer. And that's where the Google Assistant comes in. Because this is the Google Assistant, by the way. It manifests itself everywhere. Everywhere where there's Google, the Google Assistant would manifest itself. All right. So we're approaching the end. I just wanted to leave you with a model. It's a model I developed a couple of years ago, really to try and help people understand how to build relationships through a digital ecosystem but it also applies to the real world. So it's called meaningful connections. On the one side, it's us. It's the users. It's the people using the internet or using the digital ecosystem. On the other side, it's all the service providers, all the platforms. The companies trying to serve us and solve our problems. On this side, it's about security. It's about keeping the data that we give to the system safe. Who's been following the Facebook story, the Facebook saga, you could call it. People reading up on that? Yeah, there's been a bit of abuse of data, but we've had it with Equifax was the last one, you know, abusing our our personal data. So on this side, it's how we behave with it. And data is really behavior. So the more we use this thing, the more we give it data, and that that, that is actually our behavior. And the companies need to keep that secure. That's the deal, that's the relationship, and that's based on trust, right? So when trust breaks down, you stop using it as that. We choose not to use a brand.
2: The World Wide
1: Web are linked devices that generate data. The whole thing in one sentence. Why IoT? Because there's just a lot of devices. Why big data? Because there's a lot of data. And when you can connect it in meaningful ways, you can draw insights from that that helps you make decisions. That one thing that we all have to do. That's why we're all here. We're wanting information that's going to help us make better decisions in our job, in our life, whatever that may be because information ultimately helps you make those decisions. And how these companies stepped in really early, Google was one of the first ones. They understood this. They understood that relationships through technology uh, are built through data. So, what what do people need? What do people want? Let's collect the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Their mission statement, that's what they did. They collected the world's information They put up a search bar and they put all the information, the world's information, behind it. And you went there and you asked them questions. It's a question and answer machine when you think about it. So Google understands it, but just like in any relationship, how do I actually service a relationship? How do I build a relationship? Well, it's not about me. It's about what the other person needs and how I can help them. So I have to understand their needs, their wants, their desires, and service those needs, wants, and desires. That's where it starts. Relationship is personal by definition. So you need to be personalized. You need to be relevant to summarize it. We can understand what the needs and, and, and wants are of people. Google, for example, people are asking questions there all the time. So how can I use that in order to give them the right answer? Secondly, it's about experience. Because ultimately, everything we do in life is encapsulated within experience. It's the information we get through those experiences. But one thing you've got to realize is experience means attention. Because you can't be part of an experience if you actually don't give it your attention. So experience is about earning people's attention. It's about building an app, for example, that would bring people in and make them want to give you their attention. So Google Maps, for example. You know, we all use it, right? It would be really shitty if that disappeared. We'll have it in our cars. We default to it sometimes because it's more accurate. It's a relationship you have with Google. It's highly personalized, because it's understanding exactly where you are and where you're going. It's, it's different for everybody. And it's a relationship we have with Google. And in that the relationship, there's trust. Because Google can't help me to get where I want to go if I don't actually give them my location. That's the part of the deal. I have to tell them where I am so that they can get me to where I want to go. But when you start knowing where people are, then you can reach people. And that's very, very powerful in advertising. The next step is empowerment. So empowerment is really about solving problems. And the big problem that we have, one of them is trying to make the right choices. But the other one is time, (coughs) because it runs out. We'll die in the end. So we're trying to fight this problem. This is a macro problem. How do we delay death? Time is our most valuable asset. And most of these apps that you're installing on your phone are helping you save time from Uber to Google You know, we used to have to walk to a library to get an answer or find someone who may know the answer. Now we can just hook it up on our our phone. So empowerment, it's about solving people's problems. So what problems do they have? And how can I solve those through technology? By understanding exactly what the needs and wants of that person is, highly personalized, and by building experience they want to give their time and attention to. And ultimately, it's about value as well. But value is a highly subjective thing. We all want, need, we all value different things. Some of us is money, other people it's time, other people it's convenience, other people it's speed, other people it's security. We all value different things. So here it's not necessarily just about value, it's about more about expectations. How can I meet and exceed the expectations of the consumer? So managing expectations, and then that's really about understanding. So what what are the expectations? What's in the relationship? What does someone actually require from me? What do they need from me? How can I over deliver on that? Because every time I give more, they'll come back for more. And that's how Zappos did it, for example, an Amazon company, you know, delivering, uh, delivering happiness, but also delivering awesomeness. And Amazon, for example, it's all about customer delight. Customer delight, same thing, customer happiness. When you make somebody happy, they'll come back for more. And this is how it makes it sustainable. It's not just happiness, it's also health, it's prosperity, it's productivity, it's all the things we value, the things that give meaning to our lives, the things that we come back for more for. And that's what makes it sustainable. And as soon as a brand doesn't actually fulfill this circle, well, we'll choose another brand that does. And they become irrelevant. So it's more of a model, it's a compass, it's, it's a way to guide your thinking. Now, A little bit of a shift I just wanted to give you a couple of examples of how you can um, use for example augmented reality in order to augment an environment highly relevant for retail using technology bringing people information that will inspire them to actually ultimately make that purchase in this case but also inspire them with information that helps them make a better decision But the judge showed me none. I was sentenced to seven years. Transported for stealing
0: bacon. Banished from my home.
2: They called me the informer.
1: Well, forgive me for caring more about myself than the cause. Just a random example, and I think we're coming across a lot of these examples. I think that we're, hi- we're underestimating how close augmented reality really is. The ability to augment our environment, bringing extra information that helps us make better decisions. You know, it's already rampant. Think of um, Snapchat, augmented environment, augmented reality. Think of Pokemon Go, it helps sell Pokemons and and everything that's associated with think of lego i took out an example here but lego also has this augmented reality in their stores just put up a lego box in front of an augmented reality mirror and you see the final product think of maybelline the maybelline makeup genie where when you click that lipstick color then it automatically appears on your face augmented environments okay this is a an oldish one it's it's from last year but i don't think i think Way too few people have seen it. It's from PepsiCo. It's, it's still very much the awareness phase. You know, what content are you going to build for Pepsi? <coughs> it's about inspiring people now, about making people happy, bringing people back, and making them, when they buy that Pepsi or that Coca-Cola, then they get that good feeling. And, um, and this is a, a bus shelter that they, they're building in the, in the UK. I don't know if it's built yet, but at least they've made the YouTube about it. But it's actually quite cool.
2: Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> ah,
0: I'm telling you, this is how it works man,
1: there's a little camera right here. So a nice way to, a um, bit better than the standard ads we see. Or, but um, think about this for a second, it inspires people around your brand. You know if you could you could build a whole heap of new things up on this you know tracking people's locations having them scan things grabbing their data that's also an option and that's an, op- an option we take uh, very often but what happens here is that when s- people start to become inspired they start to see this amazing thing this stuff that they've never seen before what happens is they start documenting it they start making pictures they start making videos, they start uploading it to YouTube and uploading to their Facebook, and it starts to become more and more known. So this is one of the things you need to consider is that this is by inspiring people and by creating this amazing experience, you actually, and, and the people are empowered already with their smartphones, you actually give them the capabilities to promote your own brand. But before we run off, a little word of warning because technology starts off magical. It's Steve Jobs walking out on stage showing us these wonderful creations. And we all want one. And then it becomes manic. It's pinging us from every which way, taking our time, taking our attention from the more important things in life. And then it becomes toxic. It's When we're all sitting around the dinner table, staring at our screens, neglecting the true relationships we have in front of us. Or when technology automates out us out of a job, which is a hot topic today with automation, AI, machine learning, and all the things we're hearing. So technology is a wonderful thing. But we need to use it wisely. So, the future belongs to those who hear it coming. But it's owned briefly by those who build it. Thank you. I <laughs> vragen to ask in <laughs> <laughs> the Netherlands? Nederlands <laughs> mag ook, hoor. Ok, yeah. No, I vragen.
0: not have any questions. Uiteraard, I'm eigen boekje. Um,
1: uh, Chris, uh, which technology do you expect to impact uh, content marketing uh, short term the most? I think I think um, yeah, it's there's so many so many ways, but I think everything to do with, with automation. So and then this manifests itself in the form of digital assistance. So thinking about AdWords, Facebook, and all these cool platforms that they're using, they're becoming more and more automated. So as a marketeer, that's a meaningful connection for me on how to build these these relationships at scale. Really, that's that's what it helps you do, how to push out these messages at scale to reach somebody that cares. So that's becoming more and more automated, more and more in real time. We're not going to have the luxury to download these things to Excel, analyze, and re-upload. This is, Google's going to be making these decisions for you. Facebook's going to be making these decisions for you. So it's about how much you trust them with your data and all that sort of stuff. So that's going to be highly relevant the next few years. So um, you,
0: you say um, uh, automation will be uh, uh, extract all the data from the different walled gardens and you know, uh, <coughs> redefine and uh, go
1: back to, the, mm. to those channels. And, uh, I'd say I'd replace all by what you need. Because okay. with GDPR coming, it's not w- we've been in an era now where more is better. Let's just collect it all, but we find that more data is actually not helping us really make decisions. It's about now stepping back and saying, so what data do I need? What, what needs do, does my consumer have? What you know, characteristics does that audience really need to have in order for it to convert? So it's about stepping back, asking the right questions to the system, and then going out and finding, so what data do I need to answer those questions?
0: So a strategy. You would also say, picks, pick the most important channels by defining your targets, and, and from there, uh, uh, build on those relationships you have with those technologies you picked.
1: Maybe as a as a a starting point, addressing it by channel. But I think very quickly we're going to move into a a holistic omni-channel approach where we're going to be at the mercy of the big tech companies if we want to drive performance from our companies. And we may be at a disadvantage if we don't. But look at what's all happening on the other side, the consumer side. You know, everyone's in a panic now in the U.S. with with everything that's happened with Facebook. You know, they've. So one thing I'm going to tell you now, nobody said this. It's something that. That you need to realize because when you think about it, these platforms that we've had from Google's to Apple's to Facebook, everyone developed apps. And when you think about it, these apps are really Trojan horses in order to access in data, right? And then they took that data and then they sold it through. Think about Cambridge Analytica if you're reading about that. Now, when you then just look at, okay, so what's the next wave? These digital assistants, what are they? They're actually Trojan horses now to get into company apps get data from all those apps because those apps is what we're using as consumers that's where our loyalty lies that's what we're giving to to the system and these digital assistants are now going in there trying to connect all these apps so that they work more efficiently together so that's something you need to consider when you start to surrender um, your way of work to to these these systems then there's always a price you need to pay so, and, and from the consumer's perspective, well, what happens when you lose trust in the system? Well, you pull back. And, and I think things like, you know, maybe TV and, and radio and, and may, maybe on streaming, uh, on the streaming side of it, but also outdoor advertising and the things that 95% of our lives is still offline. Those things might come back in, a, in, a, in an era where data is like... I'm not sure about this stuff anymore. It's uh, I need I need time to grow into this. So that's something as a marketer you need to consider now because it might actually be a whole new opportunity to go and and, and veer off all this channel marketing and go back to the to the true marketing of addressing needs and wants and then looking at technology. So how can technology help me do that better?
0: Right. Thanks, Chris.